Good morning, everybody. It's good to see everybody here. So if in the uh, the middle of this you see me poof go through the ceiling, that means that either we have to update our eschatology, or uh, in which case I probably would be accompanied by some others, or that means that the uh, committee, the visitation committee, has uh, found uh, my teaching. They've weighed it in the balance and found it lacking. So. Um, but welcome to the uh, visitation committee. At least I was successful with that joke, if uh, not with the Bible study. Let's, uh, <clears throat> let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that uh, you do not leave us in the dark. Father, that you have instructed us in your principles. Lord, continue to give us a love for your word. Help us, Father, to exalt you in all that we say and do. Father, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. So, unfortunately, in the scheme of uh, doing Bible studies, the, it doesn't fall out into nice, uh, you know, 40-minute segments. Um, and I really, I don't know how fast we're going to end up going through this segment. So you guys have more opportunity to discuss things as we're going along, but... I would like to hesitate jumping into chapter 17 until two weeks, two weekends from now. So, uh, but <clears throat> we're going to go through, uh, pick up one of the things that uh, we missed back in uh, Genesis 15, and then uh, we'll continue. We'll uh, cover 16 and then uh, reserve 17 for later on. So, if I can get some volunteers, first off. Uh, Chapter 15, starting in verse 12 to the end. And then, thank you, Logan. <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> Don, all right. So you guys don't know the rules. The rules are if you engage, if you, you know, eye contact, then uh, that means you're willing to, uh, to, to uh, do some of the reading. So um, in 16, 1 through 8, and then... Uh, one other, Stephen, <laughs> you need to warm up your voice. So, um, chapter 15, starting in verse 12. Now, when the sun was going down, the deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. Then he said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve me. They will afflict them four hundred years, and also the nation whom they serve I will judge. Afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass, when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Genesis uh, 16, 1 through 8. That's okay. Now Sarai, to Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid. 
name was Hagar. So Sarai and Judah said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abraham, to be his wife. After Abram had dwelt, had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, so he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abraham, My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring of the way to sure. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from, and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress, and submit yourself under her hand. And the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly, so that they shall not be counted for multitude. The angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are a child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord, who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore the well was called Bir Lachayoroi. Observe it is between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abram named his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Thank you. Okay. Apologize for only having one, uh, but I think that'll be enough. That'll, that will suffice as we're getting into this. So uh, I've used the um, Abraham as the generic title for, uh, for Abram in this section of uh, Genesis and uh, Abraham later in the next chapter when he gets, or in uh, 17 when he gets renamed by God. But that's been a, the generic, you know, even though right now he's still being called Abram. We're going to get into, you know, the Sarai versus Sarah as well. But so the prophecy we discussed last week, the uh, the covenant, the cut covenant that God made. God was the one who instituted that covenant. God was the one that said, sit back, watch, and um, this is what's, you know, I'm making a covenant with you. This is my initiation. I'm God Almighty. Uh, watch and uh, the parts, the very familiar scene of you know, the parties to the covenant walking through the uh, parts of the animals. And yet what we found out was it was only it was only God. But a very important uh, thing happened first, and that is this particular prophecy. 
We'll note uh, a couple of things about the, the prophecy. It's he's in a deep sleep. It's uh, behold, horror and great darkness fell upon Abraham. And uh, he ends up giving the, the prophecy that it's going to be 400 years that his descendants are going to be in affliction and uh, be slaves. And they won't be, they'll not serve themselves, they'll serve another country. 400 years, you know, uh, is greater than the amount of time that the United States has been around, uh, just as a, uh, as a reference. 400 years is a very long period of time. But... Here's the point, or one very important point about uh, 400 years. It is 400 years. It is only 400 years. There's a time limit to this. And in the affliction that God's people end up enduring, there's a limit. And uh, there's, in this life, yes, and then uh, we have, we anticipate uh, heaven, and we've talked about that. We have that great hope placed before us. And yet, even for the nation of Israel, as they go into the, the slavery that they're going to be trained in and through, then there's uh, still a time limit. And uh, they're going to come out with great possessions. So they have this, this hope that's even placed at the end of that uh, affliction. And uh, Matthew Henry, one of his great quotes, I'm going to quote several of them uh, here this morning. God first wounds, then heals, humbles first, and then lifts up. It is uh, to the people of God, to the nation of Israel, to the leaders, that there's going to be affliction that comes first, and then there's going to be reward. That's instructive for us. And what is the, the mission of Abraham and to his descendants uh, it is up to them to obey, to endure, to wait, to wait patiently on the Lord. All of the, you know, the, the things of scripture that uh, we wait upon the Lord, we look for the Lord's timing in all of this, and uh, we, we exercise patience and diligence about the duty that God has called us to in the midst of that affliction. That affliction is grievous. And being a slave, we don't want to lose that um, that imagery. And we're going to go into that a little bit more, especially with uh, with Hagar here. But, but the duty of God's people is to endure, to obey, to be faithful. God has called us to be faithful. We don't know the times, the seasons that God has called us to. We don't know what's going to happen, but we do know what our job is, and that's to be faithful to Scripture. And on the other side, the flip side of that, it is God's place to inflict wrath on evildoers. To, it is uh, God's job to uh, avenge the, the evildoer. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And that is not the job of the of the individual Christian. Uh, we talked about just war theory. We talked about uh, the you know a nation acting as an instrument of of God. That's a different discussion. And yet the individual is still called to 
depend on God for his timing of when he's going to exercise judgment. We even have here in the text, as we go back to it, the time of the Amorites is not yet full. So there's some sort of uh, the the Amorites are going to continue to build in their wickedness. They're going to continue to do evil. And it isn't time yet for God to inflict his wrath on the on the evildoer and that the fullness of their evil hasn't uh, been made known. We see that exact same thing in the when Moses is uh, Moses and his miracles. And this, again, is very appropriate, very applicable to the people of God at that at that particular point. We're seeing a, a theme of enduring affliction and uh, coming through successfully and looking to God as that one who will inflict injury, wrath for his sake and his purposes. When a godly man dies, he dies in peace. Another one of those uh, great quotes that uh, Abraham's going to go to his fathers. He's going to die and he's going to die in in peace. Calvin interprets that statement as he's going to die with a clear conscience. He's going to go to his deathbed and at his death, he's going to be able to say, you know, uh, to look to God and to his reward, we would say, uh, in, in heaven. So he can go there with a clear conscience. And that is something that the Lord is telling him is, is going to happen. So at the end of our days, uh, where we've talked about this theme of death, we've talked about uh, considering your your own death, uh, because that is the condition of mortal man, that mortal man will die. And so to consider our end, we don't like to consider that. It, death comes up upon us quickly. And, uh, and yet that is something that we need to be mentally prepared for, aware of, know the end of our lives, know that the, the time is short and that, uh, it's good to be about the work of the Lord while you still have uh, your life here um, rather than uh, wasting it in frivolity. Uh, so the timeline so far is when was Abraham Abram called out of uh, Haran? When did he leave Haran? How old was he? So he was about 75 years old, okay? And uh, that's when his dad died. Heron died in Heron. And uh, so then they end up moving down into the, uh, the promised land. And uh, however long that took, it's been 10 years now that they've been in, uh, in Canaan. And we see at the end of uh, chapter 16 that he is 86 years old at least at the end of that of that chapter. Time skips around, you know, but uh, we're trying to, to put a general time stamp on that. It's going to be another 13 years before he has or uh, Sarah has Isaac. And uh, when Sarah has Isaac, you know, he's uh, another 13 years, do the math. And uh, so we're kind of right in that middle period, right in between. We've, we've looked at the promises that God has made to Abraham. 
we've talked about the promise of a um, of seed and of the of the land. He was instructed to go through the breadth of the the land and to walk about and uh, be in the land, look at it, see what's going to happen. He was able to give uh, part of that to his nephew Lot. And then God said, after he gave it to him, he said, by the way, that's yours anyways. And uh, so he's going to, he's had the promise of land and offspring. He's had this explained to them, to him over this progressive revelation over several um, appearances of the Lord to him. And yet, you know, time is waning on and they're getting older and, uh, oh, that's not good. Stop. And obviously there's the temptation. Then, you know, I'm going to help God out or we're going to help God out. And uh, as we get into chapter 16, then we have the question of should we help God out or how should we help God out? Brilliant plan. How about uh, you take my um, my handmaid and uh, go into her? So we ask the question, should he listen to his wife? Can I have that water? Is this, uh... this is choking me <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm treading on dangerous territory right now. Um, and I know that none of the guys are going to answer this question. <laughs> and, uh, it would be wise not to. Um... No. No. Okay, good. <laughs> the single guy up front. Excellent. <laughs> okay. Should he listen to his wife? Yes, you're right, Henry. He shouldn't listen to his wife. He should exercise leadership. And uh, the question comes in that that charge of adultery. Is he really being adulterous here? And the consideration then, uh, as a discussion topic, is um, under what law would we say that he is uh, bound to his wife to his wife only. He can't have another wife, even though she is, we're going to see Sarah's attitude towards her handmaid. Um, not that that's accurate, but uh, under what law would we say that's uh, adultery? God's law. God's law. Exactly. Coming from God's word. Okay, where? In the beginning of Back in the beginning, before it all happened, you know, I mean, before uh, sin ended up coming into the world. We have God explaining to his people, to Adam and Eve, what marriage is. And uh, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and wife and be joined to, um, uh, his, or leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Sorry, <laughs> I'm so flustered. Um, but uh, that uh, they'll become one flesh. So it is the, the joining of the two. They become one. And uh, then uh, anything as we, uh, are, as we are looking at the uh, book, book of Proverbs that uh, on Wednesday that we know that, uh, you know, if you're joined with somebody else, you join with that person. If a, uh, a man joins with somebody who's not his wife, 
he joins with her. And that is a more intimate relationship than just a, a physical relationship. And so there's going to be issues. And we would uh, rightly accuse him of adultery, of having uh, another wife, of being polygamous. The text tells us that uh, he's, you know, taking Hagar to be his wife. And so now he has two wives. And now that introduces a whole set of implications about taking care of her, her not no longer being that that uh, handmaid, but being an elevated status, uh, being the the wife. And uh, so there's implications that the text isn't going to get into. And yet all of these are things that flow out of the natural implication of uh, the husband and wife getting joining together and then uh, don't let man separate that or interfere with that with, with man's plan. We've seen what happens in polygamous relationships before. We know about Lamech. We know that uh, when we have a polygamous relationship that we can't maybe in, te- in the text you can't necessarily point to the fact that it's that it's two there, uh, two wives, but uh, we can say that there's not good things that happen. And this is uh, another example of that, that we're going to get the implications very quickly of, of, uh, what, of what has happened here. The faith of both of them, as we have seen, is defective. We looked at that, the text from the New Testament, that they didn't waver, or Abraham didn't waver in his, uh, in his faith at the end of his life, and yet there's this road that uh, the Faith Hall of Fame is going to describe all of the saints end up having a uh, road of fits and starts of, uh, you know, two steps forward, one step back, and so there's going to be, uh, this is along that road, that uh, instruction in righteousness and his uh, training, and uh, I doubt I would be patient enough to wait uh, 13 years, and even with the explanations that God has given to him, and still uh, continue on with that. Uh, in fact, I know I wouldn't. Um, and yet the expectation here is that God spoke, and uh, his job is to believe. We know that uh, he believed that Abraham believed God, and that was credited to him as righteousness, he was justified, and uh, he's justified in the New Testament sense. Um, but uh, that faith being the uh, central element. So, uh, but there's still instruction that we all need to uh, to be aware of, and that training that that goes on even to the end of our of our lives. Okay, so wording is important. We notice these little tidbits that uh, Moses throws in. And uh, the first one of those is Sarah Abraham's wife. Okay, Sarah Abraham's wife. Uh, It's not all that subtle when you look at what ends up happening as we go through chapter 16 and into the rest of redemptive history as well that we uh, find out that um, the enemy is going to, the enemy of the Israelites is going to come from Ishmael. And uh, so 
that uh, that is one of the consequences, one of the long-term consequences of what's going on here. But Moses notes that uh, for us that uh, Sarai is Abram's wife, and uh, so we'll note that. And uh, we'll note the other uh, little tidbit here, Hagar the Egyptian. So what does that help us to understand? And again, we fast forward, Moses talking to the Israelites, giving them part of that history. Guess what? Uh, Being um, slaves in the land of Egypt, where did that come from? It came from back when uh, Hagar was an Egyptian. Hagar goes back towards Egypt. So the the wording is important here. We'll see that uh, also in just a second when I get to it. So you want to read uh, Proverbs 15, 1 for me? Yeah. Abraham does what Sarai wants him to do. He takes the uh, um, takes the handmaiden and goes into her, and uh, she ends up conceiving. And so then uh, that sets up the next of what happens. She gets upset at uh, at him, and. Um, she ends up blaming Abraham for the misdeed, for uh, what's going on here. Abraham's response is very interesting to me. I, I just, this is fascinating to me. And uh, it's helpful to, to have some of the other pieces of scripture to help enlighten us. Soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Abraham doesn't say, uh, honey... You know, didn't you just say, he doesn't say, come on, you know you said this, you just said this. He doesn't argue with his wife. He gives that soft answer back, and uh, he gives Hagar into her hand. And Sarai ends up treating the the handmaiden um, harshly. There's this expectation on Sarai's part that Hagar's going to have a baby and no issues. We take the baby. The baby's mine. Hagar is cut out of it. Hagar, by the way, um, the uh, uh, maidservant, um, yeah, that doesn't get at the whole picture of what a maidservant is. A maidservant is a slave. In the, um, the pocket sword, if you look up that word, uh, wench was, was one of the descriptors. Uh, I would never use that term, especially in the current climate. Um, but to get at that idea of, of how Sarai treats Hagar, Hagar is less than nothing. She's, you know, from outside of their family, and she's been uh, brought in. She's from Egypt, and uh, all she is, her only status is that uh, she's a slave. But Abraham ends up, you know, giving her back to her, 
her handmaid, and uh, so as a result, she gets treated harshly, and what happens? She, she leaves. She says, I'm out of here. I don't have to put up with this. That isn't what she said. But. And then we end up having this uh, incredible statement, the angel of the Lord. This is the first time that we have that statement mentioned. We've had the Lord appear to uh, Abraham. We've had a vision of uh, God to Abraham. And uh, we've had this very visible display. And yet in uh, 16, we have the angel of the the Lord. So in the King James, it's not uh, capitalized. In the ESV, angel is not uh, capitalized. In the New King James, you guys can look in your text and see that, that that angel is actually capitalized. What's the intent? What's the translational statement that they're making? That this isn't just any old average uh, angel. That this is actually the... So we're not going to get into the, you know, the, the theological discussion. I'll leave that for, for Alan. Uh, but uh, this is the, shall we say divine one, pre-incarnate Christ. And and how would we help to justify that the translator's um, statement or justification out of the out of the text, even out of the immediate text? You're not allowed to talk. <laughs> you put the gag order on him. <laughs> Wait a minute. <clears throat> Okay, so he gave you the verse, or he gave you one of the verses. Oh, verse 13, <laughs> Accurately, accurately says, you are the God who sees me, okay? We also note that back up in uh, verse 10, I didn't put 13 up there, but... Um, that uh, the I will multiply your descendants exceedingly. Do angels have the ability to create life? Uh, can they? Can can an angel speak for God with that type of authority? Okay. So those are the questions. Those are the the uh, the textual type of questions. And as the translators come to the text then uh, they have to make a decision. So we're going to take that contextually. We're going to take the statements that are immediately present there and read those back into what this statement means, that uh, this isn't just an angel of the Lord. Uh, an angel of the Lord goes before John. And what happens to, to John? John, you know, like any sensible human being would before a divine you know, uh, un, unsinful uh, person, I mean, uh, being, uh, you know, that you would fall prostrate on the ground before, before that being. And what does the angel, an angel of the Lord say to John? Get up. That isn't what happens here. We don't have that. We don't have that kind of uh, manifestation. So uh, that's another indicator that uh, we're talking about big A, angel of the, the Lord. Now notice how the angel of the Lord addresses Hagar. 
That doesn't sound like how I'm, I'm running away. I'm, I've been mistreated and I'm going away from this place and uh, I'm out of here. This is, um, you know, I don't know. Don't tread on me. Uh, yeah, that isn't what uh, she gets away with. She ends up being told by the angel of the Lord that her place is underneath the authority of her handmaid. So um, she's to go back to her mistress, and uh, that mistress is in charge of her. There's an authority structure here that's in place. Go back and submit to Sarai. And even though you're going to get mistreated, then uh, I want you to to go back. And uh, so... Uh, she responds in kind with the statement, my mistress. So she's acknowledging what the angel of the Lord is, uh, is saying to her and uh, acknowledging that as being correct. And uh, so then there's this acquiescence to the message of the, uh, the angel of the Lord. And, um, she also gets the promise of offspring. And uh, so the 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 freedom to obey is the freedom that uh, this culture needs or, you know, needs to be uh, needs to emphasize. And it is uh, not the freedom of fleeing. It's not bolting and running. It's staying where you're at and being obedient, obedient to your master, the equivalent uh, on the female side for mistress. And uh, there's freedom within that context rather than uh, going outside of the the structure of the the Lord. That also is one of those uh, concepts that in the cultural moment I find very instructional and very helpful. She gets the promise of the offspring, and um, Ishmael is the God who hears, okay? The God who hears prayer. So what do we note in the text? Do we note that uh, Hagar has gone to the Lord? Do we note that? Do we see that? Is it in the text? And yet God, in his in his mercy, in his forbearance, he ends up um, giving her the promise of an offspring. So in Genesis 25, 12 through 16, we have the 12 basic basically the 12 patriarchs that are going to come from Ishmael on the, on the Hagar side, that uh, Ishmael is going to have 12 sons. And uh, that's going to be the fulfillment of the prophecy right here that uh, she's going to have offspring. So, and yet he's a wild donkey of a man. He's, you know, emphasizing the out of doors. He becomes an, an archer. But this name Ishmael means uh, the God who the God who hears, and uh, it's like 
Ishmael is uh, that 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 word uh, Shema in the in the Hebrew is the same word that uh, you get Deuteronomy six four through nine. Hear, O Israel, and we know that we've talked about that when that statement here is made, that it is hear and obey. God is the one who has heard of my affliction. And this is the angel of the Lord giving him that, uh, that title. So at the end of this, then it is Hagar who responds. Hagar responds with the, uh, you are the God who sees me. And uh, you have seen my affliction. You have answered me with offspring. You have given me hope. And uh, not only does she, uh, she gives one of the titles of God. So if we start, if we go through the, you know, the, the history of the names uh, that are given in the Bible, we think about uh, mighty God. We think about uh God, the provider, God, the healer, God, the banner, God, the righteousness, God is my righteousness. And now we have uh, here at the beginning, God who sees uh, one of the one of the titles of God that's given from somebody who is going to be outside of that uh, that covenantal line, somebody whose uh, offspring are going to end up being against the, the nation of Israel. We also see what we've seen before in Abraham, that Abraham desired to establish an an altar, a a physical reminder to him, to his offspring. You know, what do these stones mean, Israel says. And Bir Lahai Roy, the... uh, the well of the living one who sees me as a, as a reminder. And we're reminded about that, that constant theme of that God uses embodiment to communicate to us. We're not just uh, disenfranchised spirits living in a polluted body. That, that uh, Greek concept, you know, that the, that the body is sinful uh, the body sins, but it was created originally good, and we are in a body, and our bodies are going to be resurrected. So we have that uh, that great hope. And Hagar also has that uh, that hope in the future of her offspring, something that would be uh, helpful for her. And uh, I mentioned the... Uh, the specific Genesis passage. So, are there any questions or comments rather than jumping into a discussion about circumcision? You mentioned uh, Abraham uh, going to his fathers in peace, and that's an interesting theme that's carried throughout uh, Genesis each of the patriarchs, it's all mentioned that when they die, they go to their people or to their fathers. It's just a, a beautiful uh, declaration of the resurrection mm-hmm. and the everlasting life already here in Genesis. 
Very good. That's helpful. How do you put on that idea of if you're during that 400 years that I'm going to live, I'm going to possibly die in slavery, and this is the condition, and this is this is a condition that the Lord has authored. Uh, yeah, I that's a tough one, especially for American rugged individualists, you know, who are addicted to freedom. Yes, Vicky. I can't comment on the fulfillment of that. Um, I can say that, you know, what the commentators said, that it takes a while for... Uh, Matthew Henry tended to, to imply that there's going to be this slow increase in wickedness and then a, you know, off the cliff kind of demonstration of God's power in a moment, much like, I mean, he doesn't compare it to the, to the 10 plagues, but there's, you know, the groaning and deliver us in, uh, from uh, Israel, you know, to God. And that theme of, you know, the exodus, we're coming out, uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. To, okay, the biblical scholars in the, in the room, where does, that, uh, where does that happen? I think what you see happening there is uh, just the nature of God, the long-suffering nature of God. 
associations uh, with the, what you see in Tapu Sotomora. The Lord waits till a certain point when their wickedness is, is so great that he can't be sure anymore. Yeah. Uh, blood. But the, this, their iniquities will uh, reach a point that when Israel comes into the land of Egypt, I mean, the land of Israel. And it's not for 50 or 40 or 30 or 20 or 10. <laughs> it's for one, and he takes them out, and he and his family. So, uh, Right. An opportunity to repent. Like Revelation explains the disasters that happen and that they still didn't repent even though they had that that opportunity. Uh, the book of Hebrews talks about, you know, chastisement for the people of God, punishment for those that are outside of the, the fold. And it's judgment on those that are outside. But 40 years of wandering is a training ground, you know, and guess what? We're, the Israelites are still going to do exactly what the other nations, you know, syncretism, idol worship, high places. We're going to see that theme throughout the rest of the Old Testament. So, and we're not immune to that at all. <laughs> Any other thoughts? Well, I'm here, still here, so I guess I, I passed, but... Uh, Let's, uh, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for giving us this history. Thank you, Lord, for you being the God who sees. And, Father, we 
We cannot claim the kind of affliction that uh, Hagar had to endure or that the uh, Israelites had to endure. And yet, Father, we also know that uh, our sin can encumber us, that it can enslave us. So, Father, we pray that you would cause us to look to you, to trust in you, Father, with the eyes of faith. And uh, pray, Father, that you would strengthen us through the preached word. Be with Stephen, Lord, and give him conviction and boldness as he preaches your word to us. Give us, Father, receptive hearts. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen.